Let me read it, if you could follow along. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray. God, we thank you for today. I pray as we hear this word that you would penetrate our hearts. I pray that even in my words, even in my weakness, even in my sin, Lord, that you would be able to speak perfectly. I pray that these words would truly portray portray your heart and that, Lord, as we listen, that you would soften up our hearts to really understand your word fully. I pray, Lord, that this word of forgiveness would penetrate the very depths of us and that we would understand, Lord, that forgiveness is about you and us, is not about our relationship with one another. And so we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Today's... uh, sermon title is called Forgiveness. You know, out of uh, all the house chores, I enjoy washing the dishes the most. Uh, you know, maybe you don't know this, but in college, actually, my, one of my first part-time jobs was as a dishwasher, part-time dishwasher at a restaurant. Um, and so for me, it's not something that's too bad. Now, here's a caveat. I, I'm not I don't go out seeking opportunities to wash other people's dishes. All I'm saying is that in terms of the house chores, washing dishes isn't one that I mind too much. Now, the main reason why I enjoy washing the dishes is because I've watched my dad wash the dishes. All throughout my life, mostly, as far back as I could remember, my mom, she would cook, we would eat together as a family, and then, like clockwork, at the end, my dad would get up, go to the sink, and begin washing the dishes. And I didn't realize it then, but after a few years, I realized that my dad washing the dishes was his way of saying, I love you, to my mom. It was his way of saying, I love you, to our family. And so now, it's kind of strange, but even now when I wash the dishes, I, I kind of think about that. I kind of think of maybe my future wife or my future children. I think this is going to be one of the ways that I express my love towards them. And it sounds kind of strange too, but even when I was doing my part-time dishwashing thing, even to complete strangers, it was almost my way of, of loving them. And what's interesting is my dad never once told me, hey, Danny, look, washing the dishes is how you love people. He would never say that, and I know that he is never going to say that. 
It was simply his expression of love toward me that changed my heart towards others. It was seeing what he did for me that showed how washing dishes could be a form of really serving and loving towards another brother or a sister. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because in the Bible, there are so many different rules and so many different teachings. But none of them are going to transform your heart unless you understand the core value of what Jesus did for you. I can stand up here and tell you so many different things. And I can say, you need to love God. You need to love others. And it's because the Bible tells you to, but that's not going to change your life. Anyone can say that. But the whole point, the whole way we transform our hearts is only going to be one realization, and that realization is what Jesus Christ did for you. That Jesus doesn't simply say, love others. He says that I love you. And I loved you so much that I came down to earth. That I lived a perfect life. And that I died on the cross for you. Because I loved you. And when that realization hits your heart, then it's not going to be you forcing yourself to love others. It's not going to be you forcing yourself to serve others. It's going to be your expression of love because it is the example of Christ. And that's why I wanted to really emphasize that as we are nearing the end of our Imitating Christ mini-series. Because more than any teaching, more than any words that we read, I really want us to focus on that one truth. That as Christians, it's not just going to be the words or the teaching or the rules that change us. It's going to be through the life of Jesus Christ. It's going to be what he did as our Savior that will truly transform our heart. And so today, we're going to look at what Jesus says about forgiveness. And I hope that as we go through this sermon, more than just the words and more than just the teachings, more than the Greek and more than whatever that we read together and study together, that you would understand that the reason we want to forgive others is because of that simple truth that Jesus completely and utterly has forgiven us. And when you fully understand that and when you keep that in your heart, and you really truly believe that, that is the only way that you will forgive others in a true and lasting way. Amen? Yeah. In this passage, you see, there are three things that Jesus talks about when it comes to forgiveness. The first is that forgiveness comes from humility. The second is that forgiveness has an end goal. And third, that forgiveness means to suffer for another. Now, we're going to go into the first one. Verse 3 says, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, then forgive him. You see, there were two groups of people 
that Jesus, for the most part, would direct his teachings. Of course, we had the multitude. We had the crowds that would gather at his feet. But in most instances, what we see are two very distinct groups, and the way that he would address them would be very different. The first were the disciples. And yes, he would rebuke them, he would correct them, he would guide them, because he knew that the disciples were going to be the future teachers of his ministry. But the other group were the Pharisees. And the way that he spoke to the Pharisees and the way that he spoke of the Pharisees were very, very different than how he spoke of the disciples. In Matthew 13, you see Jesus, he calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers. Now, even today, if I say, hey, you know, you know that person over there? He's a snake. Oof. That sounds bad, right? Now, back then, that would be a curse. And so when Jesus says that, we know it's really, really bad. Now, the reason why Jesus calls the Pharisees this is because he was fighting against their greatest sin, the sin that they were completely blind to, the sin that he knew would eventually destroy them. And you see, it was the sin of pride. In Luke 15, 1, it says that sinners were gathered around Jesus to listen to him teach. It said that the sinners were gathered around Jesus as he was eating and teaching. And it says that the Pharisees saw this and began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, the reason why the Pharisees were angry were not because they were just sinners. The Pharisees were angry because these were sinners who had never come to the temple and asked for forgiveness. You see, these were sinners who had never repented of their sins. They had never repented, and yet Jesus allows them to sit right next to them. They had never repented, and yet Jesus puts them right next to him, and he eats with them. They never repented, and yet what Jesus is doing is saying, you know what, regardless of what you have said or have done, even without you understanding this, I have already forgiven you. The Pharisees, you see, they were willing to forgive, but only if the sinners were willing to repent. The Pharisees' forgiveness was dependent on the actions of the sinners. But look at what Jesus says in verse 3. If he sins against you seven times a day. Now, why would Jesus put seven times a day? It's because what Jesus is trying to say is that forgiveness is not based on another person's actions. It's based purely upon the condition of your heart. If someone sins against you and says, sorry, you know what? Maybe 95% of the time you'll say, okay, that seems genuine. They came to me. They asked for forgiveness. You know what? I'm going to forgive them. But you see, Jesus, he goes one step further because he doesn't want you to stop there. He asks the question, you see, what if they turn around and do it again seven times in one day? 
What if they don't just come to you once asking for forgiveness? What if they come to you once, ask for forgiveness, do it again, come to you, ask for forgiveness, come again, do it again and again and again? What would you do then? How would you think? Well, the obvious answer is that they probably aren't genuine. Yeah, they can ask for forgiveness all they want, but if they're willing to do that seven times in one day, again and again, then they're not sincere. But that's why Jesus is saying this. You still need to forgive. In Mark eleven twenty five, Jesus says, if you're standing and praying and you have anything against anyone, forgive him. He doesn't say, you know what, if the person repents then you can forgive him. Jesus just calls us to forgive. What he's saying is that your forgiveness is not based upon your relationship with the other person. Your forgiveness is going to be ultimately dependent on your relationship with God. It's going to be upon how you view your relationship with God. It's going to be how you view your, your life in light of the humility you have before God. And it's because if you're prideful, you will be just like the Pharisees and you will not forgive until they come to you in true repentance. You see, why would you ever forgive someone who has hurt you and doesn't seem to care about it? The answer is it can only come from one thing, the understanding that Jesus Christ has forgiven you. That's it. It has to come back to that understanding. It has to come back to that ultimate truth. It cannot be just because the rules, just because this other person, just because that's the way the world is. It has to come back to your ultimate understanding of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Forgiveness is never going to be based upon your actions or upon your relationship or upon the performance of the other person. It is going to ultimately depend upon the condition of your own heart. Look, that's why in Luke 23, it says the crowds mocked Jesus. It says that they pierced his sides. Is that, they, is that they hung him on the cross. And yet, even at the very end, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Did they ask for repentance? Did they say that they were sorry? No, of course not. And yet, Jesus, at one of his last breaths, he says, Jesus, he says God, please, please, please forgive them. You see, church, this is connected ultimately to our second point, that forgiveness has an end goal. Verse 3 says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Now, this is something that we can't necessarily see in the English, but in the Greek, these two sentences aren't separate. These two clauses aren't apart. They're actually put together. Jesus is talking about the same person at the same time. And what he's trying to say here is that it's not 
about rebuking first and forgiving second. It's not about, oh, I need to rebuke this person so that I can forgive him later. What Jesus is saying is that you rebuke because you have forgiven them. You correct because in your heart you have already let it go. You are able to guide, discipline, and protect and correct them because in your heart you have already cleaned that out of your system. Jesus is saying that rebuking and forgiving must go together. This is important. Because if you're rebuking someone without having forgiven them yet, then you may think that you're giving them the truth, but in the Bible, all you're doing is giving revenge. And the reason why this is connected to humility, the reason why this is connected to being humble, is because there is going to be so many times when people will not know to repent until they are disciplined and corrected. They will not have that heart to say, I'm sorry, genuinely, until they receive that rebuke and correction. But Jesus is saying that your heart needs to have already forgiven them before you come to correct them. That the correction and the discipline and the rebuke is only an outward expression of the inner reality of the forgiveness that's in your heart. And that if you come in with that bulging vein and that red face and that head full of steam and you rebuke them, then all you are doing is leading them further away from God. See, forgiveness is based on your relationship with God, not your relationship with the other person. And it's why the disciples, they say this one thing in verse 5. They say, increase our faith. Isn't it strange that they don't say, God, decrease my anger towards this person. If you really want me to forgive, then decrease my frustration in this relationship. If you want me to forgive, then release the tension that I have with this other guy. All they say is, God, increase my faith in you. God, increase my faith so that I truly believe that you have forgiven my sins. Increase my faith so that I truly trust in what you have done. Not once do they ever say anything about their relationship with the other person. Not once do they ever say anything about how the other person has wronged them, how it's going to be so hard for them to go this way, how what they're going to try to do is going to be almost impossible. They say, God, if I am going to forgive, then all I need is more faith in you. Increase my faith. It's only by increasing our faith that we're going to be able to forgive others. And lastly, forgiveness means to suffer for another. You see, the word used here for forgive is actually used a lot of different times in the Bible. But what's interesting is that it's rarely ever translated to the word forgive. In fact, 
what you would see if you looked at the Greek is that this passage is one of only a couple times it's actually translated to forgive. Because in other places, it actually translates to to take on. In the King James Version, they actually translate to suffer it. One of the other places where they actually use the word forgive is in Matthew 18, where Jesus, he tells a story of a servant and a king. The servant, he owes this large sum of money, something that this man would never be able to pay back. And because he would never be able to pay it back, his children and his children's children would suffer because of it. But it says in a complete act of grace, the king, he took on that debt. In the King James, it says that the king suffered the debt instead of the servant. In other words, what we know is that he forgave the servant. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that forgiveness means to assume someone else's debt. He's saying that forgiveness is not ever going to be a give and take type of situation. That biblical forgiveness is not meant to be a partnership where I forgive only if you ask. And Jesus uses this word to evoke this very image. That we are called to take on one another's debt. That if someone wrongs you, that if someone sins against you, that to forgive someone is to take on their debt, is to suffer their debt. It is not meant to be any type of give and take partnership. Jesus says that when we forgive, that we are suffering in the place of the other person. Now, how does this apply to us today? Look, the first thing is that we have to understand the seriousness of sin and the magnitude of forgiveness. Because what's happened a lot in this world, and especially even in Christian circles, is that the way that we cope with forgiving is that we downplay the seriousness of the sin. Is that we try to downplay what that other person has done to us. And so we say, you know what? What they did is not that big of a deal. It's not that big, so I'm just going to forgive them and I'm going to forget. And yet Jesus not once has ever downplayed any type of sin. For us, in fact, he says we have to realize the seriousness of sin because we are going to take it on ourselves. And to take it on ourselves means that for us, our hearts need to already have forgiven them. That regardless of their actions, regardless of how they even respond to us, that we are able to talk with them, that we are still able to love them. And to go along with this metaphor, in order to pay back that debt that we are taking in their place, the way that we do that is not by going to them in frustration, is not by saying little snide comments or, or side glances or doing any of these things, but when we go to them, even though it's going to be difficult, we affirm them. 
We praise them, we encourage them, and we pray for them. That to the, to the degree that we are able to do, we are called to pay back their debt by truly loving them. It's not easy, church, I know. But it's why Jesus, he never says it's easy. He says, this is a point of suffering. It's hard. But guess what? You are called to forgive. You see, at the end of this teaching, Jesus, he tells the story of a servant. Back then, people willingly went into servanthood to pay back a debt. Now, if the debt was large enough, the person who was owed the money had two options. The first is what many masters would choose, which is they would throw that person into prison. And what would happen is that their family would have to assume the debt and pay it back. And what we know is that in that patriarchal system there, that most of the time what that meant was a death sentence to that family, that those children and that wife would usually end up dying of starvation. But the other option would be the master would be gracious enough to allow that person who owed them into their field, into their job, so that they could work off their debt and still care for their family. It was an enormous amount of grace. And in this story, Jesus is saying, look, does a servant come back from the workplace and expect to be thanked for their work? Of course not. It should be the opposite way. That even when the servant works, he comes back saying, thank you, God. Thank you, Master, for allowing me to work this off. Thank you, Master, for still keeping my family intact. And that's the way that we need to think about forgiveness as well. This is what he is pushing towards us. That as hard as forgiveness is for us, that as hard as it is for us to forgive others, he is saying, look, look how I have forgiven you. Look at what I have done for you. Look at how much I have loved you. And so go in with a heart of thankfulness. Talk to that other person with gratefulness. See that other person and say, man, God, I thank you for this opportunity to allow me to forgive them so that my relationship with you can be whole again. And understand that for Jesus Christ, he wasn't just a master who has let us work back in his fields. He is a master who has taken our place. That we had, a de- we had a debt that could not be paid by any amount of work, that many, any amount of thing that we could ever do. And yet Jesus Christ paid that debt completely by dying for us on the cross. And he has set us free from any type of debt that we would ever assume again. He has not called us to be slaves. He has not called us to be servants. He has called us to be his sons and heirs of God. Hallelujah. Amen. And so trust in that and have hope. And even for you, as you pray and think and digest and meditate on this message of forgiveness that Jesus has given, understand that more than anything, you can be so thankful to the Lord for all that he has done. 
and know that forgiveness is not going to come from understanding just your relationship with the other person. It's not going to come from an understanding of the rules. It's only going to truly come from an understanding of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. That he loves you so much that he came down to earth, that he died on the cross, that he took your sin that was supposed to send you to eternal damnation, and he put it upon himself. Thank you, God. Let's pray. So, God, we thank you for today. We thank